God is with you. Let us pray. Creator and healer, root of all goodness, working your Sabbath will in the chaos of our life. Teach us the insight that gives true judgment and praises you wherever you are found, making miracles from spit and mud through Jesus Christ. Amen. In the summer after my sixth grade year, my mom got remarried and we moved from Salinas to Carmel. I transferred from a public school to a Catholic school. The school was at the Carmel Mission. It was and is a beautiful property. At that time, I was totally unaware of the brutal history of indigenous enslavement and cultural decimation that was the foundation of the mission system. I just thought it was wild that Junipero Serra was buried in the chapel floor. I could step on him. <laughs> My family was Presbyterian, so I was also really curious about all this Catholic stuff. How could these two very different traditions spring up from the same person and book? That question inspired me to read the Bible in its entirety. It became a daily devotional practice through which I first felt called to ministry. But back at the mission school, I was one of two Protestants in the junior high. They'd seat us together in the chapel while the rest of the class went to confession. I'd stare up at the ornate altar and let my mind wander. I was particularly struck by the crucifix. Up there, in the center of the church, was Jesus on the cross. At our Presbyterian church, we did not have that. Our crosses were empty. My parents told me that was because we worshipped the risen Christ. I thought that made us superior, superior somehow. And these days, I like the crucifix, the suffering Christ. Jesus, fully human, but enduring incredible pain. It grounds the viewer in a truth, one of the four noble truths. Suffering is real. Suffering is part of life. Through much of our lives, we pretend that suffering isn't real. We find excuses for it. That person had it coming, or they should have been more careful. You hear these excuses in everything from car accidents to sexualized violence, blaming the victim. And here it is today. There's a man born blind... And the disciples asked, who sinned? He had it coming. Who sinned? What did he do to deserve this? Historically, theologians pile these notions into the problem of evil. If God is omnipotent and benevolent, why is there evil? Why is there pain? 
this magnificent question is often too much for people to take on. In response to the problem of pain, many turn to overly simple answers or impose causation where there is none. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus is not having it. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, he says. Stop this nonsense. No more blaming. He says he was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. It's a beautiful turn. We are all born so that God's works might be revealed in us. Whether you are blind, able-bodied, alcoholic, insecure, unintelligent, a teacher, a scientist, a musician, an artist, an atheist, every one of us reveals something essential about God. Ironically, we who reflect God do not always see God's reflection in others. We can be blind to God's revelation in our sisters and brothers. The disciples and the Pharisees see the man born blind, and they don't think Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, Helen Keller, Homer of the Odyssey, Doc Watson, or Jorge Luis Borges. They think sinner. It is an ironic inversion. Those who can see are actually blind. They are blind to God revealed. Instead of seeing the miracle of a man who was born blind but can now see, the Pharisees view their understanding of the impossible. As they wrestle with implausibility and the problem of pain, it is they who are blind to what matters most. They are blind to God and neighbor. This goes deeper than not accepting a specific miracle of Jesus. By focusing on the flaws in Jesus and the man born blind, the Pharisees miss their role in the eternal. They are blind to their part in the neighbor's suffering. And we all do this. We fail to see the needs of others. We don't see the 170,000 houseless people in California, which accounts for 30% of the houses people in all the United States. We don't see the 2.2 million undocumented immigrants that live in California, many of whom are right here in our neighborhood. We don't see the 1.6 million people in the U.S. who are over the age of 13 and identify as transgender and non, non-binary. We are blind to the love and mercy we could express. Ironically, it is we who think we have it all together who tend to exhibit this spiritual blindness. Those who know they have fallen short tend to show grace to others. Was blind, but now I see. One of the best songs of all time, written by a former slave trader. The man's name was John Newton. As a young man, 
Newton was conscripted into the British Navy, which was like being drafted, but instead of getting a notice to report, the Navy just took him off the street. His naval career, a life at sea abroad, led him to work in the slave trade. But Newton had a massive conversion experience after surviving a near shipwreck, and he eventually became an Anglican priest who engaged in the abolitionist cause. He penned Amazing Grace to support a sermon around New Year's of 1773, based on his experiences of indebtedness, enslavement, and freedom. Amazing Grace became one of the most famous songs in the English language. It is a song of liberation and joy to millions upon millions. John Newton took his liberation and liberated others. He discovered and showed grace. The Episcopal Book of Common Prayer defines grace as God's favor toward us, unearned and undeserved. It is in and through grace that we live into the reality that merit has nothing to do with life. We don't deserve or earn life. We don't earn our suffering. Life, love, happiness, all of that is a product of God's grace. It takes blindness to the ordinary and vision to the eternal to see that truth. Now, grace is a beautiful, overwhelming mystery that forever invites us to plunge deeper. I won't simplify or codify your deep dive, but I will pass along a story that has been helpful to me in my plunge. When my mentor, Jimmy Bartz, was in seminary at VTS, Virginia Theological Seminary, where Casey Jones is now, Jimmy Bartz had a professor that told him, Mr. Bartz, you know the grade. The grade is always A. Now you have to work. As many of you prepare to take or grade exams, this might be helpful Maybe for others this inspires Catholic guilt. Maybe it inspires gratitude for the gift of the grade. But in grace, the grade is always A. Now we have to work. Now we open eyes born blind and see. Amen. Where are you?
Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.